Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange yet again with a really, really special guest today, Hector Montseger, who is our ethical hacker guest of the day. Really excited to have you on the program. How are you today, Hector? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited uh, to have this awesome conversation with you today. Yeah, I think the, the types of things you know and that you've experienced are things that most people do not. So I think there's going to be some, some really great nuggets that we can uh, get out here. But uh, before we get into that, just, just to let people know a little bit how you are, can you, can you do the high-level view uh, intro, intro yourself, kind of what you're known for and, and kind of what you do today? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, let's start it off simple. So my name yeah. is Hector Monsegar. I am um, I'm a former black hat, uh, a former adversary, former bad guy. Uh-huh. Um, you can even say I was the Kaiser Soze of, uh, of <laughs> hacking at some point in, in my life. Very good. Um, Very good. But no, now, you know, as a professional, um, you know, I day-to-day operations, a red team operation, dealing with clients, um, doing all sorts of penetration testing and research, um, advising uh, you know, security startups, and um, just overall, you know, enjoying life and being a security enthusiast. Like this, it's one of the things in my life that I really appreciate and, and I enjoy. So that's it's, where I'm at today. It's such a vast area. I mean, when you talk security, there are just so many different things and topics and angles that, mm-hmm. you know, that you can go into. It always seems so, so vast to me, but maybe just a level set for folks that are less familiar. How, how would you describe an ethical hacker, right? And you use kind of the term red hat, but what, how, would you, how would you describe that term for people that are, that are sort of unfamiliar with that? Well, the term ethical hacker is used for someone that um, is... I would say usually a professional or someone that's starting their career um, where they're doing security work, uh, quote unquote, hacking for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, the case in point, if you are a pen tester or penetration tester, um, you will be hired by your clients or you would be hired in general um, by an organization to, um, you know, to, to assess the security posture of, of the scope or the environment. Um, if you're hired as like an employee, as opposed to a contractor, then you are part of a team, um, that, uh, has, uh, and I apologize for the noise, New York city noise here. Um, actually let me pause. It's all right. We don't mind the New York city noise. That sounds pretty, that makes it realistic. (laughs) We we know where you are and there's some good ambient noise in the background. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so going back to my point, if you are hired as an employee, let's say as a security analyst, a security engineer, or even, you know, you're starting your career as an intern, um, your goal as the ethical hacker is to help your team um, develop a security program and enforce it. Um, as a consultant, as a penetration tester, your job is to identify vulnerabilities in a customer's environment, in a scope, um, and be able to present it so that not only does a client understand what the issues are, but how to remediate them. So that's what, that's that's. I would say what an ethical hacker is really about, um, you know, understanding and explaining security so that, you know, it helps, you know, um, clients and friends, family, and so on. Um, and of course, a flip side to that, um, you have the black hats, which I mentioned before, and I would love yeah. to break it down for you as well. Yeah, yeah. So what a black, sure. So what a black hat hacker is, um, is someone that, you know, is, is criminally aligned. Um, they're, they're breaking into systems, without authorization, without permission, and they have various goals, right? So my goal when I was the bad guy, and I'm not proud of this, I don't glorify any of this, 
Um, but when I was the bad guy, my goal was mainly political, mostly political. Um, you would even call me a hacktivist, hmm. where I would combine hacking and activism, and I would target foreign governments and you know law enforcement and so on. Um, and there's one, there's one uh, piece that is hidden, that's missing rather, and that is the gray hat. So now a gray hat, believe it or not, you may run into them at you know security conferences. They're wearing suits. Um, some of them might even be your you know colleagues or employers, um, maybe an, even a, an employee. And these are people that are kind of dab in the middle, where they're interested in security, they're doing security work. Um, but they may also compromise the system here and there, and they just haven't been caught. Those actually do exist in real life. Interesting. So now we've got all the hats sorted for everybody, which is a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering just about hacking in general, and people read a lot of different things, and I'm sure there's news articles and a lot of assumptions made. Mm -hmm. are, there, are there misconceptions that, that you feel they're, they're made about hackers? Are things that people assume that may not be accurate? Like, do we really know what's what's going on is there anything that stands out for you in, in that area sure there, there, there are plenty of misconceptions and um, i would say that's one of the biggest issues that we've had um in the security community is that uh you know when there's a film being made uh especially some hollywood film where they they're i would say over exaggerating the capabilities of a hacker or visualizing it to to keep the audience entertained you have audience members, you have people just walking away from the story, like, wow, these hackers are, you know, either they're superheroes or they're super villains. Um, they could shut down, you know, X, Y, and Z and access whatever they want. The truth of the matter is it's not that simple. It's not that complex. It could also be complex. Um, it really all depends on the scenario. Um, yes, you have super bad actors, like nation state actors. Um, what security professionals call APTs or advanced persistent threats, a lot of these people are sponsored by nations uh, like a North Korea or uh, China, Russia. Um, you know, these are the, the folks that are usually getting into the, you know, the big organizations. They have zero day exploits that probably cost millions of dollars. Um, and they work in tandem with all sorts of different departments. Um, Intel is a great one that's usually uh, connected to these kind of groups. Um, but in most cases, and, and this is, this is honest, uh, you know, it's completely being honest here. In most cases, what you may see as a hacker or hear about a hacker are usually like low-hanging fruits. Um, in most cases, neophytes and, and you know, it's a derogatory, derogatory term for them called script kiddies. Um, and these are people that are just learning or maybe downloaded a tool and, you know, they're basically automating their way through compromising systems or emails. Um, you, may, you may see a lot of that activity when it comes down to phishing. You see a random phishing email, um, you know, that has a really obvious link, more than likely you're dealing with a neophyte, someone that's, um, you know, trying to compromise you, but really don't have technical capabilities. Interesting. Um, would it be safe to say, and this is something that I know we, we kind of fleshed out when we looked, you know, deeply here at, at pure relative to ransomware, but with some of these neophytes and others where you can go and download a tool or, or, or find a service mm -hmm. or something that could do it. Is there a business behind this? Is there some, are, are people monetizing, you know, attack methods and tools in mm -hmm. order to make a profit as well? Does that exist? Is it, is it a business behind the function? Absolutely. At this point, ransomware is a billion dollar industry on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and I, you know, 
some may say I'm exaggerating, but the numbers are there. Um, and so what ends up happening is that you have these organized groups um, that have developers, that have experience, research, uh, you know, fantastic research teams, and um, they do all sorts of research development projects. They're uh, doing zero-day research. They may even be professionals. Remember what I said before about gray hats. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, may be, they may even be professionals in the industry that want to make a quick buck on the side, and they'll create a service. That service will be as, uh, will be as simple to use as logging into a website on Tor or dark web, you know, that's what they call it, um, and then paying someone in Bitcoin, you know, anywhere between five dollars in, in Bitcoin to you know five thousand, depending on the sophistication of the tools involved. And it's all pre-configured, it's all set up. That all you have to do at that point is download the the uh, the payload, the artifacts. Um, and delivery method and just start spamming everyone until someone falls for your email and they click on the binary or they click on a word document, become infected. And now you just wait for your payment. It's that simple. And it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, no, it is. It, it sounds super scary. I, I'm, I'm kind of sensing a theme around the gray hats. I mean, do, do gray hats present, you know, an insider threat? To organizations at some points too, right? I mean, if you say they're the folks that kind of show up at suits and at conferences and and kind of straddle both sides, is is that something that that enterprises need to be aware of from within? Well, I, I would say that insider threats are a major issue, uh, regardless of the scenario. Okay. Doesn't um, matter that okay, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say insider threats. That's a, that's a problem on its own. When when I'm referring to gray hats, we're talking about people that. Um, have done conferences and they have done speeches. Um, they are wearing suits sometimes, or they're working as security engineers and practitioners. Um, and they just, they, you know, they, they identify vulnerability and they want to sell it. They want to sell it, you know, outside the box, outside the frame to the point that, you know, they, they may sell that research to the bad guy and they don't really care. There's money involved. Um, you know, so those are the kind of folks that I'm referring to, and they do exist. They, there's actually plenty of them. When you look at an organized um, hacker group or organization, now, and let's keep it specific to like an APT group, okay? Um, from all my research, and there's a lot of great folks online that are, are heavily focused on Intel. Um, these folks have done amazing research and publications on some of these hacker groups and where they're getting their exploits. Um, and in most cases, you have, a, you have a, a, a nation, or rather you have governments like the Russian government that will hire out like subcontracts, um, you know, security researchers for exploits. And then the government will weaponize those exploits for, you know, whatever purposes. Um, I mean, it's a stark difference to the Chinese government where, you know, um, their researchers are essentially, uh, you know, soldiers. Um, mm -hmm. And those soldiers are sitting in their offices finding vulnerabilities all the time. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really insane to think about um, how complex the system is, how convoluted it is. And the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because all that research we're talking about and all the exploits we're talking about eventually trickles down all the way down to the neophytes and the script kiddies that are just trying to make a couple of dollars and, you know, they're doing it at your expense. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So there's some degree of organization, but it does get down to those neophytes, as you say. Does, does that mean then, you know, and I'm kind of curious if there's a standard profile of a hacker and what I'm guessing is not really. It doesn't sound like there's any specific, you know, gender or age or geography. It, it, it kind of is just prevalent everywhere with anyone, uh, unless you think differently. I, I'm curious on that aspect. 
Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's one thing that, um, you know, connects my story to this conversation. You know, I was this yeah. kid from the projects of New York city. I had no formal education. I did not go to college. I had a GED and I studied computers at home. I got on the internet in the mid nineties. I learned how to program on my own. I learned how to hack on my own. Um, and so, you know, I really did not fit the modus operandi, uh, or the, uh, the, I would say the profile of a, like an APT, um, yeah. it was not nation state sponsored. I did not have access to millions of dollars in exploits. Um, but I still existed and I still was effective when I was a bad guy. Um, there are plenty of people like that. Um, and yeah, the, the, I would say the, um, uh, in terms of the attackers out there that are looking to compromise you and your organization is very, very broad. That's the scary part. And it makes yeah. attribution even harder. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm always curious about that one. Again, it's it's great hearing it from you, knowing what's going mm -hmm. on, you know, a, a, across the board, everywhere. Um, so I, let's get to kind of the current state of things. I, I'm I'm interested mm -hmm. in in help, having you share with people, uh, you know, what what kind of the most common hacks that are going on. You know, we read a lot about phishing mm -hmm. and and denial of service and things like that. I mean, is it are still those the prevalent ones or are there other things? We mentioned ransomware, of course, but are there other things that you're seeing out there? What, what would you say are the top two or three, or is it hard to categorize to just, just a few? Well, it's, it's hard to categorize and it all depends on the industry, right? When you look at healthcare, for whatever reason, these, these ransomers, uh, people that are deploying ransomware um, operations are really targeting hospitals and healthcare industry. They're going very hard at it. Because they're aware that hospitals in the in the United States are private sector. They're, they're private companies. They're not um, government-funded hospitals in most cases, right? Um, so they're, I'm assuming these, these individuals are, are willing to wager that uh, a private hospital in, in downtown Miami is willing to pay, um, you know, ransom if they're infected. Um, you know, and then the, so you, you look at things like that and you're like, wow, okay, that's that's kind of difficult. Um, so, but going back to your question more directly here, um, you know, ransomware and any sort of social engineering where emails, um, or any, any communications it could be WhatsApp or telegram. That's, that's kind of the trends now too. um, SMS text messaging. Now, it, you know, back in the days, it costs like a dollar per text. Now it's like, you know, fractions of a penny to send an SMS message, um, is much easier for an attacker to create a profile in your organization get phone numbers, publicly listed phone numbers for your off, um, your, your employees rather, and send off a bunch of messages pretending to be part of your security staff or, you know, HR, for example. Um, and, you know, deploy, deploy the engagement. So I would say the number one is going to be the social engineering slash human aspects. That's always going to be, you know, um, especially moving forward, it's always going to be the number one vector that attacks are looking for. Um, the second one I would say and this is a very broad answer, but it's going to be the low-hanging fruits. If you're running an outdated version of Tom, Apache Tomcat on your environment, there's a legacy installation from your previous developers, um, and you have no asset management in your organization, more than likely it will be compromised. Um, so low-hanging fruits are machines, services, devices, anything that is outdated, not actively maintained, and kind of just forgotten, dormant on your network. Um, and then of course the third one is going to be, um, the password security. 
Um, just because you have an extremely long and secure high entropy password um, that you know it's going to take uh, a massive amount of resources to, to crack doesn't mean that you, you want to use that on every possible website because eventually one of the websites that you register, registered with will be compromised. The password will be retrieved and, you know, password reuse becomes an issue. I mean, these are all common topics. We've, we've, well, as, as professionals, we talk about a lot of these things a lot, but it's 2021 and we're still dealing with it. Um, you know, so we need to definitely discuss that. Yeah, it is interesting that some of these things are well known. You know, I, I used to work for a company that, that did servers and did operating systems. And I think it was somewhere in the 90 percentile whenever somebody would have a breach of the operating mm -hmm. system and, you know, they blame, blame us and, and we'd go and check and go, you know, have you loaded the latest patch updates with specifically with the security mm -hmm. patches? And in almost every case it was no. And so I think that's, that's a great message from you, right? As a really simple thing that you can do is just keep, you know, software updated, firmware, you know, whatever it is that's updated, because in most cases that's, that's mm -hmm. going to capture you know, and, and protect. Um, any other, any other Absolutely. tips? I mean, we, we talk about defense in depth and it's kind of a loaded term, if you will, but mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're working for clients, what are the things that you typically would advocate for, for them to, to have at a minimum? Well, that's a great question. And I, I have to tell you that honestly speaking, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that need to be done. You know, this is why a lot of organizations are scared of even touching the security problem. Um, yeah, believe it or not, they exist. And now some of these companies are calling me up for their first internal engagement, um, you know, after 40, 50 years in business and being on the internet for 15 years. Um, you know, it, uh, aside from the cost, okay? Aside from the cost of bringing in consultants or actually hiring people to work on your internal security posture, um, the the biggest issues that I see and the recommendations that I always make um, is going to be, or rather are um, things like, well, you have to know what's on your network, right? So asset management is extremely important. Um, you have to be proactive about your security measures. <laughs> if you have no security measures, it's time for a risk assessment. Yeah. If you don't, if you haven't done one, it's time to talk about it and, and get the conversation going. <clears throat> Excuse me. Going beyond that, um, having a proper backup system in place. If you are compromised, it would be wise to have a backup system that cannot be, um, you know, I would say, give me a second, hold on. <coughs> oh man, sorry about that. Let me no, repeat that right. section, okay? No, 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 yeah. we can do that, we can do that. Yeah, so, so moving forward, one of the things that I do tell my customers is that, um, you know, Asset management aside and, and, and internal security um, measures and all that, that's all fantastic. But part of your plan should also include a solid, you know, backup solution or, or, or backup policy. You know, if an attacker is able to compromise your network and if they're able to compromise your backup solution, your backup services or the backups in general, that's a major issue. And it kind of defeats the purpose, right? So now we start talking about implementation, Okay. Um, you know, so moving, moving past that, um, now you have to look at the kind of security products you have on your inside network, um, or rather on your internal network, um, who's managing these products, who's watching these products. Um, and if those products are compromised, you know, what's, 
what's your defense mechanism? What's what's your um, you know what what's what's your policy in case something is compromised? Who do you speak to when you identify um, you know evidence of of some sort of um, intrusion? Um, so these are a lot of things that I bring up to my customers. These are a lot of things that I try to recommend. Um, and for the most part, the the main issue, the main response I always get is, um, you know, well, how do we implement that? Mm-hmm. Right. What are the next steps? And even though that is a great question, that's something that organizations need to really sit down with the developers. I'm rather with their with with the various departments. And of course, they're vendors. You know, vendor relationships are very important in this situation because even though your vendor may only supply you uh, yearly pen tests, uh, they may be able to be, be able to talk to you about uh, some sort of SOC, a security operations center that you may be missing, um, or they may be able to lead you in the direction of uh, a backup vendor that you know could work with you to to bring in a, a secure backup solutions. So the, the point is that you really have to explore what's out there. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, you find yourself in a, in a much better position. So just to just to conclude that point there, um, you have to be proactive and preemptive about your security measures in 2021. Yeah, I, I used to work for a, a little bit of an older gentleman, but he always liked to use the expression, you know, when you're putting your pants on, if you want to make sure they stay up, you're going to have a belt and suspenders. And I think that's that's kind of what you're going for here, which is, you know, you want to be able to have defense and and be able to, as you say, sort of uh, proactively, right, uh, you know, keep things mm-hmm. from happening, but also have the awareness that things can and, and will happen and thus be able to, you know, recover quickly. And I love that, you know, you, you've mentioned the, the backup and restore because, uh, you know, we have solutions here at Peer that that do that really rapidly. Yeah. And we, we partner with some, some great, you know, Alliance partners in that, um, in that area. So um, thanks for your sure. insights around that. Um, super cool. Hey, a really oddball question. What's the strangest, sure. what's the strangest thing that, that uh, you've ever seen be hacked? Is there anything really weird that stands out? Um, that's an interesting question is I've seen some weird things compromised in my life. Uh, even I, when I was a bad guy, I've compromised some weird stuff that I, I never thought I would. I think that the the most interesting story to me, and this is a story that's obscure. You could do research. You could you could find maybe an article about it, um, especially in the archives. But in between the late '90s and the early 2000s, there was a hacker from Croatia. I believe he was from Croatia. I could be wrong. Um, he had compromised uh, elements of the NASA external network, which if you speak to any security professional that has worked with NASA, or you can even ask NASA yourself, um, they don't really care if they get hacked because they have thousands and thousands of researcher laptops and desktops and computers. A lot of that stuff is test environment. 99% of the time, you're never going to find anything on any of those NASA servers. So if you hack into a NASA server, more than likely it's nothing, okay? But this one guy I'm referring to actually did, by accident, get access to a system that proxied into another system that could control elements of, like, not the space station itself, but there was something related to, um, um, damn, what was, what, what was, what was the, uh, the mechanism for, uh, for propulsion? It was like a propulsion system. Oh, wow. And he had no idea, he had no idea that he was actually in that system that could, theoretically... 
um, you know, toggle some sort of propulsion in the satellite up there. Uh, that's the weirdest thing I've heard of. And I know that guy became a professional. Um, you know, he's, he's doing great things now, but I forgot, I forgot his detail. I forgot his name. That to me was an interesting story. That's a super interesting one. Yeah. I just, it was one of those curious questions I had of, you know, you, you know, everything, as everything gets electronic, you can kind of, which, which I guess leads me to another one that's interesting is, you know, we've got, you've got devices or tracking on just about everything, right? I mean, with IoT, mm-hmm. with IoT coming online, is, is that an increasing risk because everything is generating yeah. data? Like, can you, I mean, you could hack into supply chains, whatever, right? I mean, that, that's got to be something that's out there that's, that's a big concern. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole IoT security space is like it's kind of its own thing now. It's it's yeah. it, it is in, in in itself its own niche or its own industry. Um, what you have is a lot of great IoT products coming out um, by legitimate companies, legitimate developers. They're p- putting together, you know, um, uh, strong solutions and, and and security implementations. But then you have um, you know, countries or, or companies that essentially clone some of these ideas and they're, the, they're releasing these amazing, cool IOT gadgets that are using uh, Linux kernels from 2004. Yeah. Um, these are essentially in a way, essentially backdoors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there are so many vulnerabilities in these systems and these embedded systems that, um, you know, it's it, like I said, it's essentially a backdoor that you're getting, you know, you're saving yourself a couple of dollars, but you're, you're pretty much opening up your internal network, your home network, your corporate network um, to to attack. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, and, you know, in terms of supply chain, I mean, that's, it, I mean, it's not the definition of a supply chain attack, but it gets close to it. Right. When you start to think about the, the kind of, right, the kind of um, uh, products that are available out there that, that would interconnect with your network. Um, let's say you decide that you want to get, uh, a sort of like, um, I don't know, some sort of appliance you connect to your network and it connects to your building, some sort of building management um, hardware. And you skimped out, you know, you, you went with like a no-name product and the product is using a, a vulnerable um, web server with a outdated kernel. Um, now, not only did you uh, open up your building, uh, rather your network to compromise, but now the attackers have access to your building management system. They could shut off the power, you know, whenever. That's not a good thing. No, um, it creates havoc. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So yeah, so we have we definitely have an issue, and I think there needs to be standards uh, moving forward. The same way we have RFCs and procedures and standards um, for certain technologies, um, you know, IoT has to have something in place where if even if you're a cloner, even if you're like you're you're a company that's just gonna copy an idea because the, there's no patent or it's patent, the patent is open. And you feel like it's a great idea. You could you can monetize. That's fine, so long as you use up to date embedded you know kernels and um, distributions, and you you know you, you spend a couple of dollars on security. I mean, I think that's that would be that would be ideal for everyone involved. Yeah, worth <laughs> worth, worth the investment for sure. Hey, I, a couple more things, and I'll, I'll I'll let you go. I really appreciate this. This has been absolutely illuminating to uh, to to get deep insight from you on this. But but a couple more things. Um, sure. And maybe a little bit forward-looking are, are these last two. Um, one is, 
do you get the impression that defense is catching up or the hackers kind of already always ahead, right? Is it, I know it's kind of a, a seesaw thing and it's a back and forth, but um, yeah. is, is, you know, are hackers getting smarter or defense is catching up is, is kind of the way I would couch that. Well, I would listen, I may have a biased opinion on this matter. So bear with me. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. As, as someone that got to see, that was on the internet rather on the, in the nineties Yeah. that I got to see and interact with hackers from that era. Um, these guys in order for in order for them so see social engineering was a thing, but it wasn't like the primary weapon. It wasn't like the primary tool in those days. Okay. Um, the primary tool in those days was zero days and you had these brilliant minds, absolutely brilliant minds um, that would sit there and reverse engineer software and they will find vulnerabilities and create exploits. In some cases, you had groups like Team Tesso and Woo Woo. Um, you had all these different groups that worked together, and they could pump out essentially what, what would be right now million-dollar exploits overnight. And that required a, a deep knowledge of, of, you know, of, of kernel space and memory. Um, they had to get an understanding of the hardware they're attacking. It was a much, much smarter crowd in those days okay um now not so much those guys still do exist yeah. that's true um but it's it's a much smaller audience so rather much more community than it was 20 years ago i think that um there are enough vendors now and enough thinkers and researchers and inventors now in the security space that yeah there's a lot of great tools available there's a lot of great capabilities available <clears throat> and for the most part, a lot of those researchers that I kind of refer to, um, you know, they get they get greater joy now releasing that research to the community to get these issues fixed. Um, and I would say the, the percentage of those that actually sell exploits to the government or foreign governments is actually like less than 1%. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're catching up eventually. Mm-hmm. But I have to forewarn you in the audience that there, there, there would never be ever 100% security. Right. Um, the only way that you can have a secure environment, 100% secure environment, is if you disconnect off the internet um, and you 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 know you you do work inside of like a Faraday cage. Yeah, that's that. Fully off, fully off the grid. Yeah, it's interesting. You you kind of said as as the, as the internet's kind of democratized access that hackers have gotten. You know, it's it's democratized the the the, the quantity or the. The scope, as you've said, not not as um, not as advanced or expertise, but it's expanded that. But in turn, that that tools and services and prevention has kind of built up. Um, the the one yeah. other one that I'm I'm looking at is we're we're kind of starting to emerge slowly but surely from from this COVID area, and eventually, to some degree, you're going to have people going back to work and going back into offices. Oh yeah. What what would your guidance be for enterprises, for government, you know, for any entity where you've got people who have been sure. away and and you know, probably a year ago you you built up your remote workforce capabilities and and security and, yeah. and now you've got people coming back and they've got laptops they've been using at home. Like what mm-hmm. what would your security guidance be for these enterprises when people start going back to normal? Well, <clears throat> sorry to break it. To, uh, to the audience here. But what you're going to have to deal with is a very expensive endeavor. Um, you're either going to have to invest 
and providing your employees brand new, fresh laptops, um, or you're going to have to have staff, your IT staff, doing fresh installations. Um, and that's assuming that, you know, you're, ex- you're willing to accept the potential for rootkitted devices that even after fresh windows re- reinstall, you, you know, the device may still be infected with a rootkit. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that it's going to be very expensive. Um, and I think that organizations need to start planning now. Yeah. Because even though the pandemic is still, you know, kind of going on, um, you know, I foresee within the next two years, you know, things will slow down, hopefully. <clears throat> That's what the experts tell me. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so the experts are telling us that within the next couple of years, we should see a slowdown in the global pandemic issue. Um, our offices should start opening up again. And yeah, we need to really start strategizing now, if you haven't yet, but now strategizing on how you're going to deal with all these potential backdoors coming into your network. Okay. Um, with that being said, I think that, you know, it's also a great opportunity and please hear me out. Okay. It's a great opportunity for any organization that did not implement a strong security protocol prior to the pandemic to do it now. Okay. Um, and I'll give you a great example. Uh, by default, like the Windows Active Directory configuration allows each user to connect up to 10 domain computers, right? It's pretty generous. Mm-hmm. It also allows for an attacker who compromises your network to attach a device to the network as a, you know, or rather to the domain um, as their compromised victim. Um, you know, maybe we can start looking at things like that to minimize the number of, you know, potential backdoors in, in you know, as, as, as assets. Um, we could also start looking at, you know, things like, um, you know, um, what's, what's, what's that, uh, what's that fun, fun idea that, I've, that people have been kicking around the next generation security of, of zero trust. Yeah. Um, start, look, start looking at solutions like zero trust as, you know, something more than, than just, uh, just an idea. Um, you know, you have a great opportunity to kind of start fresh. So take advantage. Otherwise you're going to deal with the potential of compromises from already infected employee laptops. Yeah, and the cost of that perhaps surpassing what it would have taken to go invest, even though you said it's gonna be expensive. It's a, sounds like a worthwhile investment to, uh, to, to take care of that and, and great advice to start mm-hmm. and, and thinking about it now, because at some point we are going to be there. Hey, Hector, th- this was fantastic. I really appreciate you. I know you're running on, on fumes, on minimal sleep. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for keeping this time and, and for being so lucid and for sharing your insights and, and guidance. And hopefully there's, there's a number of nuggets in here that people can uh, take away and also just get a better understanding of, of you know, kind of the, the security world that you live in. But thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was a blast. Not a problem. It's a pleasure. I'm glad to be here for sure. Any, uh, anything you want to plug or anywhere people can find you? Cause I know you do work in the, sure. in this environment, just, uh, up to you. Well, the one thing I always tell people is that if look, you know, if you have any questions, if you're confused by something, feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn. Um, I know a lot of people like look up my email, <clears throat> but I rarely read my public email address. I would recommend that folks just look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there as Hector Monsegar. If you have any questions, feel free to you know, connect. That's, I'm totally down with that. Awesome. Cool. Just wanted to give you that opportunity. And uh, thanks again so much 
for coming on and thank you out there for listening to this episode of the Peer Report. Please keep sending in your feedback and comments and we'll keep bringing on the excellent guests like Hector today. Awesome, awesome stuff. And with that, we'll wrap for Pure Storage and Hector Montseger. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. <laughs>